You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today we are so excited to welcome Claire Coda to talk about her new book, Woman Eating. Claire Coda is a writer and musician. She reviews books for publications, including The Guardian and the TLS, specializing in books from and about East Asia. Her essay, Portraits, about her experiences growing up mixed race, also features in East Side Voices, essays celebrating East and Southeast Asian identity in Britain. As a violinist, she has played with Jesse Ware, Pete Tong, and the London Contemporary Orchestra, and on various film soundtracks, including Two Popes and The Matrix Resurrections. Thank you so much for being here, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. <clears throat> Do you want to start us off by reading a little something, introducing us to Lyd and her world here? Yeah. Sure. Um, Do you want me to introduce the book itself? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Okay, um, I'll try. I'm not very good at actually explaining what the book is about because I <laughs> feel like it's <laughs> it ends up being about different things to different people. And yeah. um, like people tend to focus on different parts that maybe they relate to. Um, and so when I define it myself, I feel like it's kind of limiting what the reader could take away from it, if that makes sense. Um, so I find it really hard to explain what it's about, but essentially it is about um, Lydia, who is a young mixed race so she's um british japanese malaysian um artist uh living in london for the first time away from her mother and she's also a vampire um and i always try to say that last because she um isn't your normal kind of vampire (laughs) Um, (laughs) very human and um i hope very relatable um and the book is is about very human things as well um about like hunger and otherness and difference and um yeah and being a a young woman I guess um but yeah I I do I find it hard to define it myself um and it's getting harder and harder I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) I think um the more kind of the more people get in touch with me saying why it means something to them, the less I feel able to even say what it is. Um, yeah. It's something different to, to everyone, which is really lovely. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to read a part of the book. Um, I'm going to try to read a part of the book because I've still got my cough. Um, <clears throat> that's at the end of chapter one. And it's a part where she has just lost her suitcase um and she is quite vulnerable I guess um and I'm gonna read this part because um I think it tells you a little bit about what kind of a vampire Lydia is you know she's she's not kind of um really powerful and invulnerable she's very she's got her vulnerabilities basically um okay one moment (laughs) need to decide where to start. Um, <clears throat> okay, 
<coughs> gonna try not to cough too much as well. Um, okay. In the tunnels on the way to the southbound northern line, I get the sense that there is someone following me. I haven't seen a person acting suspiciously. The people behind me all look like they're just watching, walking. I'll read that again. <laughs> um, okay. Do I need to explain what the Southbound Northern Line is to readers? Or no, they'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> In the tunnels on the way to the Southbound Northern Line, I get the sense that there is someone following me. I haven't seen a person acting suspiciously. The people behind me all look like they're just walking to catch the train. But I experience a sensation like my back is being physically poked by a person's gaze. I used to think that my ability to sense things like this was another thing that set me apart from humans. But when I asked my mum about it as a teenager, she told me that it wasn't, and that it was something that was, in fact, from my human half. It's something, she said, that most women can do. An extra sense that men don't have, or else they usually don't need. I turned down onto the platform and walked to the end where a few people are gathered. They're women on a Hindu who are, I guess, from their accents from Manchester. When the train arrives, I get on with them so that I'm hidden by their feather boas and balloons. While the train is moving though, I see a person who I guess was the one following me through the window leading into the next carriage. A man with a thin face, large eyes and dark hair speckled with gray is looking at me. I scowl at him so that he knows that I can see him and so that he knows I'm unhappy with him looking. But he keeps staring and eventually the corners of his mouth turn up into a slight smile. The missing suitcase feels like it means more now than it did earlier. Under this man's gaze, I realize that I don't really know who I am. My life, in a sense, begins tomorrow when I start my internship at the gallery. Today, I'm still an embryo. My skin is thin and waterlogged. My eyes haven't yet opened. The man's gaze is like a spotlight. There's nothing I have that proves I have existed and I have an identity beyond my appearance. I shake my head and my big black hair covers part of my face. I tuck my hands up into my sleeves like they are the heads of turtles, sheltering in their shells. I turn to my left, away from the man, so I imagine that all he sees is the giant mass of my hair, although my body is still exposed. In that position, I close my eyes. When I open them again and turn around, the man is gone. I'm back at the studios just after 10. It doesn't sound like there's anyone else here. My footsteps are the only sound in the building. I use my key to open the door to A14, my new home, and slip in. My door makes a loud clanging sound. The room smells of something unfamiliar. I feel small, like I've been beaten down by the city. My outings have been fruitless. I have none of the things that connect me to my life lived in Margate or to my mum, only my belly button and the little scar on my neck and I have no food. In the dark, my stomach rumbles loudly. Thank you for introducing us to Lid and uh, sort of bringing us into this. And you picked a part that uh, has 
like, okay, hold on. We've got to, we've like, got to. I'm just going to cough as well. <laughs> oh my God, hello, He's, baby. <laughs> Oh. He, loves, he loves to record with us. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so thank you for introducing us to Lid and uh, sort of bringing us into this story. And you picked a like a part to read that uh, kind of leads me to my first sort of question about how this story started, because I would assume that it maybe started uh, without vampires involved at all um because it really does sort of just feel like that's it's not an afterthought of course but like like you mentioned in the beginning um like the story is not about a vampire it's about a woman and she just also (laughs) happens to be a vampire (laughs) and so I'm curious like where the the sort of origin of this idea and this story and this person came from because her her motivations and her her struggles and her ideas are all extremely human um and there's just that extra element of hunger kind Mm -hmm. of thrown in there but the hunger itself is also for so many other things for success for love for for understanding and family and all of these things so how did how did this story kind of come about and when or where did the vampire element come from Um, So interestingly, um, the vampire element was there right from the beginning. Um, But uh, it's interesting that you kind of didn't think that that would be the case because um, I think as a writer, I've been looking for a way to explore my own mixed heritage in my own writing Um, for years I think, I mean, I've tried novels here and there, you know, and I've tried, I've tried um, setting novels in Japan and that never, it never worked. Um, <clears throat> I've tried, I've, I, I guess I was always trying to work out where I belonged and where characters I wrote could belong. Um, and I never really thought about the fact that actually what, interested me and what I needed to write about was actually the experience of the experience of being mixed not just of being like one thing or another thing um and then I I can't even pinpoint the moment but like suddenly like Lydia was just in my head Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was just suddenly it was like this vampire appeared and I was like this is kind of it like this is the way I can talk about experiences that are very human and very um yeah that are very kind of important to me um but in a way that's like slightly detached I guess um it was I I kind of I like to think about it like um that when you're kind of painting a painting and um like that kind of act of stepping back do you know what I mean looking Mm -hmm. at the whole thing I mean that's like feel like that's such a cliche to say um, <laughs> the vampire was like this this um like a tool that helped me take a step back from my life and my experiences um and kind of like look at look at things like what it really feels like to be mixed race but not only mixed race but also a young woman um 
to be someone who's quite isolated because at, at the time it was, you know, at the height of the pandemic in 2020, um, it, it was like a way of stepping back from humanity and kind of looking at it from this perspective of this woman who's not completely human. Well, and there's, that's the, the absolute power of, again, cliched, but stories too, is that like, and especially like fairy tales or folklore, they really like allow you to step back and the, and the ability to use the like lore of vampires and the idea of it. Um, you explore some really, really interesting and like profound ideas about colonization and identity through that lens, which was something that I really like, I haven't, no, you wouldn't expect anyone to ever do that really. Or if you, or if they did, it might feel a little heavy handed. Like it was too much, like it's vampires taking over something, you know, or like, uh, it's vampire heavy rather than human heavy. Um, but there are so many beautiful ideas that Lydia is like mulling around in her head about um, like where she comes from and her, and that's because of her relationship with her mother too. And it's because there's this link between the two of them because of their, uh, their vampire nature. Um, and so I, and it is definitely a, like, it's a, a story about being a woman, but was there, could you talk a little bit about the, the choice to have her father not be there? Um, because it definitely defines her relationship with her mother as well. Mm -hmm. The fact that in this part of Lydia's story that we hear, like he is absent. And so mm -hmm. therefore she, she only has like her mother to direct her emotions at sort of, um, yeah. and her feelings about like her father's death and his mm -hmm. not having a hand in her being a vampire, um, yeah. and all of those things contributing to her identity as well. Um, so one thing um, that I experienced um, growing up and still now to a certain extent is um, the really strange experience of being, um, of growing up in a different country to my mum. And um, we're really close, me and my mum. We're like, we're so close. Um, and same with my dad, we're like... Um, three best friends <laughs> um, it's, which is lovely um but with my mom um there's always like a distance and obviously there's a physical distance um <clears throat> a geographical distance um just by the fact that so much of her life has taken place on the other side of the planet um and um, she would tell me stories about her childhood or about her family back at home and um, or things about Japan and there'd always be kind of like this distance in my mind and it, it never felt like quite real. It was almost like her life. I found it really hard to imagine her life as like a real thing, which mm -hmm. sounds really strange, but <clears throat> that that kind of like distance was something that really interested me when I was writing this book um, and I wanted to kind of push it to extremes so um, one thing that I, I have with my mum is we can share food together you know um, she's 
she's an amazing cook for one um but she can help me connect to her own life in Japan and her childhood with food that we share together like food from her childhood food that her mom used to cook her um and of course Lydia as the vampire doesn't have that her and her mom both just eat blood that's all they can have um but then also there's like this distance between them which is time so Julie her mom grew up not just on the other side of the planet but like over a century ago um Mm. and I wanted to like it sounds really cruel it's like it makes me sound like (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to like inflict pain on her but um I wanted to um really accentuate that distance that you can feel um from your family when they live on the other side of the world but I wanted to kind of split her from her family and her identity three times as well and um yeah and kind of look at how isolating that can be um yeah and um yeah so that's 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 partly why um it focuses so much on just her and her mum, yeah. and partly why I decided to kill her dad as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't you didn't necessarily kill him. He wasn't. He was. He died yeah. before before we got there. But for him exactly. to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I also wanted her to kind of. Um, there's this really beautiful poem um, by um, the poets called the Avaya, but there were actually three female poets um, in, they're from Tamil Nadu, um, <clears throat> and they all had the same name. Um, but this one, I can't remember when she was alive, like a long time ago, centuries ago. <laughs> um, but she wrote these beautiful kind of like idioms. Um, and one of them was, um, is, mother and father are the first gods, which I thought was really beautiful. The idea that um, like when you're born, your parents are like gods to you. They've created your world and they've created you and they've created life um, and they're everything. Like you almost worship them and you trust them completely. Um, And for Lydia, her dad died before she was born and it's almost like he retained that kind of like godly nature um to her so he he in her mind is just he can do no wrong you know he's everything that she wishes she has even if if he was alive maybe they'd have like a really crap relationship who knows but um everything that she yearns in life she imagines she would have if she had her dad um and her dad represents so much like he represents food because he was a human so he could eat um he represents that kind of like connection to um a part of her heritage um and also because he was human he's not separated by time in the same way that her mother is so his family um like there are probably members of his family that's still alive in Japan as well um so he kind of represents I guess the connection that she's missing 
in her life. Yeah. <laughs> and then I I was curious how uh, you sort of either decided or how Lydia's voice kind of came about um, mm-hmm. in terms of how <laughs> this story is uh, is told because so much of it very much just feels like um, and in the best way that I, I kind of haven't read in a um, like in a novel in a while is that she you're fully just inside her head. Mm-hmm. Um, like it almost feels like you aren't even existing outside of like next to her in this world or with her or watching her walk through this world. You're in her head with her um, mm-hmm. while she's on this journey to some sort of either self-actualization or understanding of who she is and what she wants and what she's capable of. Um, and it, it was just such a specific, but also for someone who lives inside their head so much of the time <laughs> and is constantly like thinking about things and uh, mm-hmm. like thinking about all the choices that you can make and the things that you can do and being observant. Um, she was just such a specific character and I'd love to hear how you sort of decided that her voice would would be that introspective um, or that you would sort of exist in her head with her and that's probably that's part of her isolation too I think Mm -hmm. is that she is very isolated so there's like you are existing inside with her rather than outside yeah Yeah, I definitely, I wanted people to experience her loneliness with her. Um, And um, a while ago I was asked, um, it was at an event actually, um, I was asked what I wanted people to take away from reading the book. And at the time I just, I was, it was like, I was kind of like really, overwhelmed just by even doing events so I was just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the question like kind of it stayed with me and I realized that it was quite important that well not necessarily important but it was a question that I wanted to kind of answer for myself um and I think what I wanted or what I want people it's not what I want people to take away from the book, but what I want the book to do is to um, kind of be like, it sounds really cold when I say it like this, but like an exercise in empathy um, yeah. and to have readers for it to just literally be the experience of empathizing with someone. Um And there's so much about her that makes her different. Um, Obviously she's a vampire for one, she's a different species. So um, that makes her different, but in like very human ways as well, you know, she's, she's, a lot of people would think of her as being foreign. Um, um, She's, she's, she's quite an odd person, I guess. But there, there is something different about her and I think I think that's what a lot of people have taken from the book they've been able to project or see their own differences in her and I think I want people to to be able to empathize uh, with with that with that experience of difference if that makes sense 
Um, <clears throat> and of course, also Lydia in the book also, uh, it's not that she learns to empathize with things, but she does experience empathy in a very kind of literal way when she eats as well. So when she's eating um, the blood of a pig, she will experience the pig's life um, and experience the end of its life. And um, <clears throat> not only things like, you know, just sitting in a pig pen or whatever, but like things like um, the love or, or I think she says um, it's like love, but not quite love, but the feeling that the pigs have towards their keepers or their families. And um, she, she is constantly being forced to empathize with things just by eating. Um, and yet at the same time, she's very apart from society and other humans. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think the book is so in her head because actually right from the beginning, that's something I wanted to achieve, even though at that event I did, I couldn't answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I, I think actually at the, even at the beginning, it, it was, um, I don't want to say the aim of the book because I don't think I really had like, I, I can't kind of define it as the aim, but it was, it was something that I think I wanted the book to do. Does that make sense? Well, and yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I, and it's very um, like, it's completely acceptable that you, you didn't have that answer when asked that question on the spot <laughs> um, because it takes like a minute of actually talking about the book to kind of figure it out when you talk to people but I was also going to say going back to the very beginning of us talking that um, it is like with this book in particular I think it is very interesting to see like what people will connect with because mm -hmm. there are so many um like so many things happening and not in, not in an overwhelming way that you can't keep up with them or that they're like, that it's overcrowded or anything because it's just, it is just completely human. Um, like, like yeah. we're talking about identity and we're talking about womanhood and religion and like, uh, and relationships with parents and all these things that people are constantly dealing with but you weave them together so beautifully and with this one person um and it is a book that I think so many people will walk away from like giving it to a different person in their life to read like based mm -hmm. on certain things um yeah. and what they think like it will reach so many people for so many mm -hmm. different reasons and I think that is definitely a um a like that will be a an exercise in that empathy that you mm. want people to feel. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I do have um, some very fun questions that I just, I had mm. to ask you about or wanted to talk to you about. Um, one is talking about Buffy mm -hmm. um, and having <laughs> our vampire Lydia watch Buffy with a friend that <laughs> does not know she's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought was so fun um so I'd love to hear like just a little bit about like why you wanted to include that uh in this story because I just thought it was really fun 
<laughs> um, <coughs> um, so I, I'm not someone you could call a vampire fan. Um, and I think actually that's probably partly also why Lydia ended up being so human, um, mm -hmm. because I was never writing from the perspective of wanting to write a vampire book or a horror. I was always just wanting to write about a human and I did so by not writing about a human. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one thing that I absolutely loved while growing up was Buffy. Um, and it was like Buffy was like a companion throughout my childhood. Um, and then when the lockdowns um, happened in 2020, I started re-watching it. And <laughs> um, part of actually, um, I started watching it before I wrote the novel. And there's a moment where I can't remember what happens which episode it is, but Spike arrives. Um, and for those who don't watch Buffy, Spike is um, a British vampire. Um, <laughs> uh, and he's, he's a great character and he's very human in ways as well, actually. Um, but he arrives and he opens his car door and like all these empty bottles just spill out. And I remember I watched that scene and just thought like, God, wow, he's he's got problems. Um, and at the same time, I was thinking, like, God, it must be really depressing being a vampire. Like Spike, I feel like is a character who kind of epitomizes the kind of like um just how miserable being a vampire might make yeah. you. Um <clears throat> and you know, I think his character is like he's really comedic and, and funny. Um I guess Lydia, Lydia can be funny too, but uh, Lydia ended up being a bit more serious maybe than Spike. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I was watching, uh, re-watching Buffy at the time when I wrote, wrote the novel and um, I decided to have her watch Buffy partly just because um, it was fun to to kind of think of her watching Buffy in the book while I was also watching Buffy as the author. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was almost like the thing that we were doing at the same time together. So when she was watching one episode, it was because I was also watching that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was like putting a little bit of my life in, in her life. Um, but then also um, <clears throat> you mentioned her watching Buffy with Ye Ye, her childhood friend. And um, that, for me, watching Buffy with my friends is just like such a warm, fuzzy memory. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, at the time, sorry, this is, I feel like I'm going off on loads of tangents, but <laughs> it was 2020 no, yeah. and um, <coughs> my, one of my best friends, uh, Rory, he's a nurse and um, over the pandemic, obviously, like he was doing amazing work um, and we hadn't really seen each other much. Um, and he'd moved to a new house like a couple of years ago and I still hadn't visited. And we kept saying like, oh, we should meet up and watch Buffy for like a whole night and just like yeah. eat loads of food and just have a lovely time. Um, and 
it was just like <clears throat> this lovely kind of thing that I was looking forward to and it was kind of like imagining us kind of returning to our childhood and um watching Buffy together and just being kids again and childhood is something that's so it became like quite an important theme in the novel yeah. um Lydia looking back to her childhood and kind of wishing she could go back and experience it again when she was um kind of able to connect more to people um and so I think I think that's why that part with her watching Buffy as a child with Yeye um <clears throat> went into the novel because it was kind of like for her it's something that she can never return to she's no longer friends with Yeye she can't be friends with Yeye because uh she stopped aging um and so yeah it's for me when I look at that part like there's like this a humor to it because it's it's funny to think of a vampire watching Buffy <laughs> Um, but then at the same time, like, I find it really sad. It's yeah. almost like, um, <clears throat> it's almost like Yeye is a friend who has died because she really can't go back to that uh, time in her life. She can't, like, reconnect to that friend. Um, and I think it's she, her mum says to her at one point um, that she should just imagine that Yeye is dead. Um <clears throat> Yeah, sorry, that took it, uh, your really fun question into a really dark place. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Buffy had its Buffy definitely had its dark points too, and it was not always a fun, mm. like exciting mm. vampire show. <laughs> it was yeah. also very sad <laughs> at times. Very dark, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I always wanted there to be kind of lightness in the book as well. So yeah, and then. I did have to, I need you to tell me about Ben's flower clock um, because, and maybe, maybe that will just be uh, me, but that was something as just someone who, who loves flowers, that was such like a beautiful thing. And I don't know if that was a real project that someone like has made or anything, or if that was something you came up with, but um it like it just sounds so beautiful and so interesting and uh I would love to know where that idea came from and you can for our listeners you can tell them uh what this flower clock is um so it is um <clears throat> the artwork of a character called Ben who Lydia has a kind of close relationship with um and um it's actually I, I don't remember when Carl Linnaeus was alive do you <laughs> I might look that up quickly uh <clears throat> he actually says doesn't he in the book there you go so um <clears throat> it's it, Ben is recreating um this idea that uh, Carl Linnaeus had in the 18th century, which was to create a clock using flowers. Um, and he, the idea was to find flowers that opened at every hour of the day on the hour. Um, and so when you looked at this flower clock, you'd see 
say for instance, it was one o'clock, you would see two up until 12 um, as different flowers with all their petals folded up. Um, <clears throat> and then you'd only see the clock representing, the flower representing one in bloom. And then that would change as time went on. Um, and it's, I mean, it's such a beautiful image. Um, it's, I, yeah, I think it's so beautiful. Um, but yeah, Ben is trying to recreate that. So he's actually trying to create this flower clock in real life. Um, and he finds that <clears throat> there aren't actually flowers open on every hour. Um, so it's like an incomplete project. Um, and it's the reason why I gave him that artwork um, <clears throat> was because um, his mom in the book is dying and coming towards the end of her life. And so the kind of idea of like this incomplete clock, I felt like really suited that kind of part of his life. Um, and there being like missing times in the clock as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I felt like that kind of, it was like a reflection of, of what's happening with, with his mom. Um, but it was very, it's interesting because I, I didn't expect that to be his work. I didn't really plan it. It just, I was writing and it just almost happened. And again, it's like, it's a cliche that I feel like so many people say, but like, he really did kind of write himself. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I knew that I wanted his artwork to be really tender um, and really thoughtful and meaningful um, because up until that point, I think, he does come across as kind of just like, um, I think Lydia actually says that he came across as not intelligent um, to her. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of, um, he's a little bit funny and he says kind of silly things and, but really underneath there's like, there's a lot of thought going on and um, yeah. And also he's going through the process of, I would, yeah, I'd say he's grieving his mother already because I think the process of grief kind of starts before the death um and yeah so yeah <clears throat> but it's also that clock he talks about kind of um it being also about like uh I guess climate change as well the fact that flowers are gonna open at different times and the clock will just be ruined anyway um and yeah yeah that that part is actually I really it sounds really big-headed because I wrote it but <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mean to sound big-headed but but it was such because I, I really do genuinely feel like he kind of wrote himself and when that when that bit was written I was it was really, it was really lovely to see him making artwork that was so, um, I guess, emotional. 
um, and thoughtful. Um, yeah, he surprised me, which <laughs> he did. I think that he he definitely also surprised me a little bit as the as the mm-hmm. novel went on because similar to to Lydia, I was not really a fan at first. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of, of poor Ben but um but he he did grow on me and I uh I really enjoyed this book so much and we have copies on our shelves at Skylight Books for all of our listeners who want to pick up a copy of Woman Eating again uh my guest today was Claire Coda and we have copies of her book at Skylight you can purchase them in store or online at skylightbooks.com Thank you so much for joining me, Claire. Thank you so much. This was lovely. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.